This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with non-toxic medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair can be used to treat a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, diaper rashes, and other types of skin damage. I discovered Active Skin Repair and their baby spray from my community when our daughter was a newborn and had constant diaper rashes, and it really helped and continues to help. Containing hypochlorous acid, which is an effective option for helping with yeast diaper rashes, we just spray or dab active skin repair onto the skin with a clean cloth or cotton ball let's sit for 15 seconds and then apply our balm or ointment of choice with over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews you now have one simple solution for all of your family's skin health needs visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and to get 20% off your order using code PEDSDOC that's p-e-d-s-d-o-c The way I always think about independent sleep and how people and families choose to sleep is really like, I'm not one, like people ask me all the time, my opinion, like friends, and they want me to give advice. I don't give advice unless it's not working for you and your family. So you find something that works for you, your family, your kid, as long as it is safe. That's the key, right? So we always want to do that. But the issue becomes... If you are co-sleeping, for example, or conversely, you know, you always have to be at your child's bedside for them to fall asleep or an awakenings in the middle of the night. Usually what we see in research is after a while, people will often say, well, my kid will outgrow it, it'll be fine. What we usually see is they don't outgrow it. These sleep onset and sleep associations that happen are very, very strong. Welcome back to the Peds Doc Talk podcast, a top 50 parenting podcast in the United States, thanks to you and your reviews that helps you guide you on your parenting journey. I get to chat with the most incredible people in the field of child health, development, and parenting. And the guest I have today is a favorite on social media, not only for my child, but also for myself. Her name is Dr. <laughs> Shelby Harris. She is a licensed clinical psychologist, board certified, and specializing in behavioral sleep medicine. And who doesn't love sleep? Thank you so much for joining me today, Dr. Shelby. Oh. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here. Thanks again. Yeah, I'm just excited to connect with you, mainly because like I just mentioned, thanks to social media, especially Instagram, I am able to get connected with some amazing people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of the times, a lot of the information out there, I'm like, oh, I know this already. Like, this is something I do already. But your niche and how you approach sleep, especially for me as a mom, has been so helpful. And I know you don't only, you know, work with mothers, you work with families and helping with sleep and kind of debunking a lot of myths and misinformation out there. But so grateful to have you on. Your content is so wonderful. And I also love all the media work that you do. So tell everyone a little bit more about yourself if they're not familiar with who you are. So I am a clinical psychologist by training, and that's what I do a lot of, but I have a specialty board certification in behavioral sleep medicine. So for a long time, well over 10, almost 15 years, I ran the behavioral sleep medicine clinic at a sleep center, a pretty prominent sleep center here in New York City. And I worked with babies through older adults where I worked with the MDs. I'm a PhD, a PhD myself. And 
We work to try and help people sleep better, ideally without medication. Mm -hmm. So I love working with babies, older adults, all ages, women a lot of times. And, you know, my mission is to really have the family sleep well. So I have a private practice now just outside of New York City, and I see people from all over using telehealth. It's really wonderful. Oh, awesome. And like I said, the being able to have that experience with babies and toddlers and teenagers and adults. I mean, again, I I mentioned this at the beginning, sleep is to me one of the most important things, if not the foundation of everything that we do. So if sleep is affected, Mm -hmm. mood, behavior, we know this for children as well. And the conversation we're having today has to do with independent sleep. So we know that there is a big push on either side. There's a push on, you know, for parents to feel this expectation or urge that their infant needs to sleep independently. And if they don't, they're never going to sleep independently. And then you have the other spectrum that's like, no, 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 like bed share and your child doesn't need to sleep independently and you should guide them the entire time. So I kind of want to talk about this middle ground of when, you know, in your experience and your training, would you say that a non-independent sleeping child, there's a potential that they're not going to outgrow this on their own and they may need parental guidance and parental support to be able to independent sleep and why independent sleep at some age becomes important or if it becomes important. Yeah. I mean, it's a very loaded subject, rife with lots of emotions, understandably attached to it. The way I always think about independent sleep and how people and families choose to sleep is really like, I'm not one, like people ask me all the time, my opinion, like friends, and they want me to give advice. I don't give advice unless it's not working for you and your Mm -hmm. family. So you find something that works for you, your family, your kid, as long as it is safe. That's the key, right? So we always want to do that. But the issue becomes if you are co-sleeping, for example, or... Conversely, you know, you always have to be at your child's bedside for them to fall asleep Mm -hmm. or an awakenings in the middle of the night. Usually what we see in research is after a while, uh, people will often say, well, my kid will outgrow it. It'll be fine. What we usually see is they don't outgrow it. Mm. These sleep onset and sleep associations that happen are very, very strong. And it's the sort of thing where if you just keep ignoring it year after year, it's going to become an issue at some point. And the question is, when does it right. become an issue like we were talking about? Yeah, I love that because that is exactly it. Because I like to be honest about how I educate sleep. I don't push it so early. I know that babies can do it early if the right temperament's there, parental decision, yes. like you said. I am not the type to say everyone needs to sleep train. Your child's going to be attached to you forever. But I do encourage independent sleep teaching by one year. And also, it's for me, it's yes. because we can set a foundation. It doesn't mean that your child won't ever need you. It doesn't mean that you're closing the door and not approaching them. But it is a skill, if you'll say, and it actually can benefit the entire family. So that is my perspective but I obviously want to hear from a science-backed or clinician-backed kind of guidance on when is that age that we have to set that foundation or say, hey, guys, I know you love this. This is so great for everybody, but let's start giving those skills to that child. There's really no set time Mm -hmm. to do it, honestly. It just, in my opinion, if your goal is to be able to have your child be able to sleep without you needing to be there or some sort of association being there, the earlier you do it, it doesn't have to be three months, four months. I mean, there are some practices here in Manhattan that push two months. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, that's just too early in my opinion. Like you don't have to do it, but it becomes harder 
the older your child gets. So if your child is now out of a crib, guess what's going to start happening? Your child's going to come running into your room. Mm -hmm. When they start having a lot more language, they're going to be really manipulative and it can pull at people's heartstrings. So if your goal is to do it, and then we can talk about when it can become really an issue for a lot of families. If your goal is to really do it, then I, I encourage people to do it before a year or at least before they're out of a crib because it just will make it easier to be able to do that. You're not going to have to run them back constantly. And, you know, the mommy, I need this, I need that. It just, you know, or whoever, it becomes a lot more challenging. So earlier is better than later. I agree. I, it's such a, like you said, there's so much feelings, deep feelings on Mm -hmm. all of this. And it almost feels like I know we're, we're both on the similar page um, in terms of yeah. teaching the skills. And so people listening could be like, well, I want to hear the alternative perspective, but I, I do want to be transparent that, yeah, we, we are agreeing on this and that you are teaching this amazing thing that is possible. I think there is a misconception that a child under one cannot be taught these skills. And when I say skills, it's what you just mentioned, removing sleep associations. And it doesn't have to be this wham, bam, like Dr. Shelby said, that at two months you remove everything and there's no cuddling and there's nothing. It can be gradual. It can be, you know, your child needed more rocking and now we're going to phase out that rocking. It doesn't mean that your child will not need you. And I use my example. I have two different sleepers. One, independent from the beginning. Like, didn't need rocking. I was like, wow, I hit the jackpot. I was like, sleep is easy with my son. My daughter, oh my goodness, she needed so much contact, so much rocking to a point where one night when she was six weeks old, I was sitting at the corner of the bed in tears thinking she's never going to be able to do this on her own. And my husband walked in and he was like, Mona, you know this more than anybody. Every kid is different. We have a kid who needs a little bit more of us. You know this. I know this. She's going to sleep. It's going to happen. And you know what to do. And Lo and behold, now she's this independent, quote unquote, sleeper who still loves the occasional contact nap, who still needs us. So really normalizing that the kids are different, but you can teach different temperament children how to do this, but you might need different strategies. You might need to manage expectations, but your kids are going to feel loved. They're going to still need you. All of that is still going to be there. And I'm almost proud of my kids. You know, like I look at them and I'm like, they need mommy and daddy, but they also just get it that, okay, it's bedtime. Like it's an important boundary in our house. Like, because I want to sleep, but also I want my son to sleep. He's three and a half, almost four. This is an important boundary in our family because like I said at the beginning, I know how important sleep is to the family and to my child, that it's something I want to say to him. Like you said, before he became a toddler, this is something that's important for you. It's going to make you feel better when you're sick. It's going to be restorative. Like sleep is a beautiful thing and you can do it on your own. And if you can't, I'll be there. We'll help each other. Yeah. Yeah. There are different strategies to help your child sleep, right? And to sleep independently. But the way that I always look at it too, is like, you have to think about your family and what's going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're someone who always has to be there for your child to fall asleep, or you have to have certain conditions all perfect, you know, what happens the nights that you maybe have a babysitter? What happens if they go to the grandparents' house to sleep? Does it all fall apart because you are not there? And if that starts to happen, then your child's going to be sleep deprived. They're going to be even more cranky the next day. And then naps, it just starts a sequela of problems Mm -hmm. that can happen because of that. So it's think about that, like even from an earlier age, right? Do, are there certain things that are so rigid that it can make it harder for babysitters or going away or whatever that might be? And then the other thing that I start to think about is like, okay, maybe it wasn't an issue, but 
or they just kind of pa- families power through the grandparents visiting or going somewhere else and the parents not being there for it. And they're like, oh, it's once in a while, it's not a problem. But then once you start to have a child who might have be like seven, eight, might if your family is okay with sleepovers, yeah, maybe your child's going to start having sleepovers at some point, you know, and is your child still needing you to be there? to be able to go to sleep. And that's when, you know, we really need to start doing something about it. If your value is to have a sleepover or to have your kids sleep with cousins or whatever it might be. Interestingly, the most busiest time that I have in my practice is right before sleepaway camp Mm, starts. That makes sense. So where I am in New York, sleepover camp is like a huge, huge thing. My kids go, a lot of people go. And a lot of parents are worried because their kids are now eight, nine, 10, 11, right? The sleep doesn't just magically get better a lot of times on its own. And what's interesting though, is that if your child is used to having like people around to fall asleep, sometimes sleepover camp isn't as big of an issue as people anticipate it to be. Right. Because there are people in the room, there's other people. So a lot of times that's okay. But then if you continue having to be there when they come back and now you're home, it's only gonna keep becoming an issue that's a little masked until maybe college. And that's when it can really start to come out. And I get a lot of calls right before college too. Like I wake up, yeah. I have a lot of 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 year olds that need their parent to come in at five in the morning because they can't go back to sleep. It's surprising, but it's really, if you don't address it and try to give them skills, even if they can't go back to sleep, to read quietly in their room, to do things without needing you to be there to fall right back asleep, it will make a big difference in the long run. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors' fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from each week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients you can trust. I absolutely love the spicy jalapeno lime cheddar chicken and mushroom chicken thighs with wild rice. Keep kitchen time to a minimum with factor meals because they're ready in two minutes, no shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleanup. I work from home and love the convenience and how delicious factor meals are. Head to factormeals.com slash DocTalk50 and use code PEDSDOCTALK50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code PEDSDOCTALK50 at factormeals.com slash PEDSDOCTALK50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Are you looking for something different to entertain your kids? Check out a new podcast for children. Mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, is a weekly show full of time travel puzzles, hidden equations, history, and lots of laughs. Math is geared towards kids six and up, but can be enjoyed by the entire family. I love how the episodes are under 20 minutes, which was perfect for our drive to school. And my four-year-old really loved the episode, The Pirate Queen. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time-traveling adventures. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and so much more. New episodes drop every Thursday, and I love how engaging, funny, and educational the episodes are. Your kids won't even realize they're learning about math and problem solving. My son even said he wanted to finish the episode on our drive home from school. 
So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. As a pediatrician, mom, and podcaster, I want to share with you a podcast I recently discovered. It's called Understood Explains, and this season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Ortube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP, and it busts common myths about special education. I listened to an episode called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 plans, and I learned so much that I honestly didn't know before. I now feel I can better explain these to my patients and their families and better support them in their neurodiversity journey. Navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences can be confusing, and this podcast helps to validate these struggles and provide actionable tips that are useful for parents, teachers, and clinicians. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood explains oh and it's hard because i'm happy that you're on the show too because in my experience obviously i don't see as much sleep issues as you because that's your specialty but i had an eight-year-old that's the oldest i've seen where the mom was like besides herself she's like i can't sleep he won't go to bed on his own and in that family they did bed sharing which they loved for a certain time and i respect that fine if that's but then at some point they didn't love it anymore right it became like you said the family wasn't working for them and that's when we probably should have intervened, but they didn't see me until four or five years later where it had already become an issue, but they didn't do anything about it. And then now it was an eight-year-old who literally in tears when we're talking about this new boundaries. And he's like, mommy, I don't, you know, mommy's how he talks to her still. Mommy, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to sleep alone. And she's like looking at me with like tears. She's like, I don't know what to do. And that is exactly this conversation. So I guess there isn't an age you would say. It really is, like you said, the earlier you start to incorporate these skills, it becomes yeah. a matter of kind of the routine and the matter of fact. But when would you say the ages? I guess it kind of says like when a family wants it to happen and also when you're starting to consider these other things, right? Like sleepovers, relatives taking care of the child, all of these things are starting to take play. Yeah, 100%. I don't think there's like one deadline because I do think, like we were saying, every kid's different. And the other thing to consider too is, is there any daytime anxiety that's factoring Mm. into some of this Mm -hmm. too for some people? So if I suspect that there's any separation anxiety, other anxiety, nighttime fears, things that are going on, then I might intervene. I'm not necessarily a child psychologist myself because a lot of it's parenting education right. of the stuff that I do. But if I suspect there's a lot of anxiety going on during the day, I might refer to an actual specialist in childhood anxiety or child anxiety who can then give the child, work with the child on what the anxiety is. Because a lot of times it can also be things like separation anxiety. Mm-hmm. And if you notice that you can't leave the room during the day or leave the house without your child being really anxious, that might be the first place to actually work before yeah. you even start working on the nighttime, for sure. Oh, it's all connected. And absolutely. Oh, it's mm-hmm. such a comprehensive approach. And so I know there's a lot of sleep consultants out there and maybe a lot of sleep consultants yeah. are listening to this. And one of the biggest yeah. things, I don't mind that they're out there, but I also get a little concerned because they don't sometimes understand the big picture of sleep. The fact that in babies feeding, how impactful feeding is to sleep and feeding mechanisms and all of that and anxiety, behavioral concerns. Like you mentioned that. And even for me, I was like, oh, absolutely. You know, like the daytime, or I know we'll have another episode about ADHD or sleep apnea. Like what else is happening? It's not always that the child 
like sometimes we'll get into this, but it, in another episode, but it's not always that the parent is not setting the boundary. Sometimes it's medical. So I love that you um, brought that up about anxiety, you know, because it absolutely yeah. can be a thing. And so what's the youngest that we see sleepaway camp? Like six years old, seven? Oh. <laughs> I mean, I would say the average is between eight to 10, okay. but okay. a lot of camp, but camps will start as early as six. Okay. That's what I thought. I know some have been like six, yeah. seven. So let's use an example yeah. of like, you don't have to get into a whole yeah. console, but let's use an example of a six-year-old <laughs> and, you know, give yeah. maybe a couple tips. A six-year-old who has gotten so used to needing a parent with them and the family is now wanting to wean that off so that they can go to sleepaway camp or maybe the parents want to go yeah. away and grandma wants to, you know, settle the child down and they can't. So what are some tips for that six-year-old who is not an independent sleeper? So what I always try to do is first and foremost, figure out, are they getting enough sleep? Mm -hmm. Is the bedtime right? Are they, because if you have them, especially a six-year-old's not napping at this point. So if you have them sleep deprived already, that's just going to make it even worse. You've got a like kind of overtired yeah. child that you're trying to put down, which just make it so much more difficult. So it really does depend. But what I always try to do is start by moving the location to their bed. Mm -hmm. So it's much more difficult if the child is always falling asleep in the parent's bed initially and the parents have to be there. So the first thing I always say is let's change the location. Let's at least get them in their room. And if there's some like, I don't want to be in my room at all at night, like then you have them spend more time during the day in their room. Sometimes at this age, you can have nighttime fears. So go through the closet, like look through, you know, make some games there yeah. so they're not so scared about the room. And then it's really about, I like at this age, because if you just keep like saying, you know what, you're going to bed on your own, whatever it is, you know, mm -hmm. like, and walk away, they're going to get out of the bed and keep running to you. So then it's more about what we like to say, it's called graduated extinction, but now they call it camping out, which is a much easier mm -hmm term. And it's like, okay, you stay there, but maybe you're not in the bed with your child or rubbing their back or talk. you just stay there and you're quiet and you sit at the edge of the bed. And then after a few days, if they fall asleep independently without needing you to rub their back or be in the bed with them, then you move maybe a foot or two away and don't talk to them, right? It's bedtime. Otherwise I'm going to leave. Mm -hmm. It's bedtime. And you keep slowly removing your presence so that you don't have to be there over time. It takes a long time to do for some people, but it is a very effective treatment. And then also teaching them if middle of the night is happening. I am a fan. I worked with Jody Mendel, who is one of Dr. Mendel is like one of the biggest, most amazing researchers in pediatric sleep. Her book, Sleeping Through the Night, I highly recommend nice. to everyone. It's great. Um, it's older, but it's great. So she always says, and this is based on research too, like if they start falling asleep by themselves, and this is good for any age, usually about two weeks later, it starts to generalize to the middle of the night. Mm. So I don't like do everything at once. Just respond as you want in the middle of the night, have them come back to your room, whatever, go to their room. But then after two weeks, if it still is happening with the middle of the night stuff, then you do the same thing with the camping app. That's kind of what I like to do overall. Oh, with that I age. love it. Yeah. And that's great. And the schedules, absolutely. Um, and then also, yes. I also do agree with this graduated extinction. I like graduate extinction for all sorts of training, um, yes. quote unquote. I think it's the best method. Um, I know we're not talking about infants, but the little moments checking in, the check-ins, I mean, it really does help. And in this, yeah, the camping out, I think this is wonderful. Have you ever recommended like a timer method? Like if a child loves to lay down with a parent setting like a timer of, I've done this with Ryan when we travel because he wants someone there. Yeah. So we set like a 10 minute timer and then my husband or I will leave and then he feels a little safer. What about that? You can do it. It can mm -hmm. for sure, but it can backfire with some kids because then they're like, how many more minutes yes. do I have left? How many more? If you have a little bit more of an anxious child, it can 
put more pressure on time and then make it worse. So just kind of have to use the temperament of the child to kind of guide. Oh, love it. And exactly what this whole conversation is with the temperament in that I love that we are talking about strategies because it's not a one size fits all approach. Like we said, with my two kids also, my daughter could be the one that will not just go down when she's older. Like I'm going to have to sit there and camp out when my son didn't need that. So I think it's so healthy and important that we have that conversation about, okay, what does your child need? What do you need, mom, dad, whoever the caregiver is? It's so vital because I feel like so many times parents forget to tap into what the family needs also. Mm -hmm. And I think that's happening on social media. Like, well, your child needs to sleep with you. They need to do this so that they feel attached. So then a lot of parents feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. But like we said, at some point, it becomes an issue for them. The mental health is impacted. And so as long as it's good for you, keep doing it. But at some point, you're going to want to change something. And that's what this episode's about. Just don't assume they'll grow yes. up. That's the thing. I would never tell anyone. So. Yeah. I mean, I have a story yeah. about like uh, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law. They uh, had a mm-hmm. two-year-old and the two-year-old was bed sharing with the mom and dad would sleep yeah. separately and they wanted a date night. So I was like, this is before I became a mother. And I was like, sure. Yeah. Like all me and my husband, we were like young and single. We're like, um, or young and without children. And I was like, yeah, we'll watch her. And my sister-in-law was like, you know, she needs to have her belly button rubbed before she goes to bed. And I was like, okay, I can rub her belly button. Like if that's what needs to happen, but she didn't want me to rub the belly button had to be her mother. Oh Mm. my goodness. Chaos, like screaming for her in a corner crying. And I was like, Whoa, this was again, before I became a mom and I just sat with her and I talked with her and she would not sleep. And I held her while she cried because she only yeah. wanted her mom. And I told her mom this after. And she, you know, I was like, look, we dealt with it. I want you to know that it was fine. She fell asleep. I was there. But that is kind of what I'm talking about that, you know, you gave the example of someone else needing to take care of her child. It wasn't working because yeah. she wouldn't do it. You know, obviously now she sleeps independently. She's older. But my husband and I were like, whoa, like for us, we wanted it to be that grandma or a nanny could come and take care of our son. And that was what we wanted for ourselves. And now obviously people make that decision for what they need. But I use that example because it is a reality. There is going to have a point where you're going to be like, well, I want a date night. I want to connect with my partner and I love my child. And it's just one night. But if they have gotten so used to not having anybody else, it's going to be this. And they're not, they're not, yeah. she, she wasn't traumatized. I was there, but like, it was kind of traumatizing for me because I was like, whoa, yeah. uh, okay, uh, here we go. Um, but yeah, problem, I think yeah. this is such a good conversation. Yeah, it can become really problematic. And the other thing too is to also think about like, do you have help during the day? Yeah. Are they putting your child down? Like try, it's not easy all the time, but it's yeah. more often you can be consistent with how you're putting your child down will make it easier too in the long run. Oh, I love but it. I think that the take home messages don't expect it's going to get better oh. over time. Well, that's a wonderful segue to the take home because I was going to ask you, is there yeah. anything else you wanted to add besides obviously don't expect it to get better? I think it's just, you know, and also to not assume that the only thing you can do or have to do is just like leave your child and just ignore Correct. them right, for three nights like that. No, there are yeah. so many different ways. And when I work with patients and families, I'm always thinking about what will serve you, what will be the easiest thing, easiest, it's never easy, yeah. but what will be the one thing that we can do where you can be consistent with it? Because if you're only doing something for a night or two and it's just too hard and then you give up, it's just going to make it prolonged even more. So I'd rather do it slowly and consistently 
then, you know, just rip off the Band-Aid for a lot of families. Some people are okay with that, but others it can be really challenging, especially with the older kids. Absolutely. And that consistency with temperament, right? Like respecting, like we said, that would be my take home for this conversation is that look at the kid. I give the example of my two kids and I knew it. I told my husband, I'm like, we can't get lucky twice. Like, it's not like we're going to have this kid from the get go. Um, And I was right. And it's okay. And it was hard, but we got her there and she still needs that connection. And that's amazing. But yes, I hope everyone who listened to this understands that every child's unique, but there are ways to teach those foundational skills so that they don't need you and they won't go to college and, you know, be calling you to sleep because it is a healthy skill, I believe. Yeah. It is. Oh, thank you 100%. so much for joining us. I know I'm going to have you back on to talk about some medical stuff related to sleep. Yes. But where can people find you to stay connected? So the easiest place to find me is on Instagram at sleep.shelby. I'm also on TikTok, but not as frequently. And then you can go to my website, Dr. Like Dr. Like Dr. Shelbyharris.com. So drshelbyharris.com. Awesome. Those are the easiest places. And I'll be adding all of that to our show notes. Make sure you give Dr. Shelby a follow. Like I had mentioned at the beginning, mm-hmm. I learned so much about my sleep also. And I've gotten better sleep yeah. because of the methods that she talks about, even just on her social media. So really a great follow. And if you love this episode, which I'm sure you did, make sure you leave a review call out dr shelby and say how much you loved the conversation that we had today and i'll talk to her next time and another guest next time as well thank you dr mona thank you for tuning in for this week's episode as always please leave a review share this episode with a friend share it on your social media make sure to follow me at peds doc talk on instagram and subscribe to my youtube channel peds doc talk tv we'll talk to you soon No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us, 